Heavenly Father, we just ask, Lord, for You to, to work in this room. Thank You for this opportunity to be here to worship and to praise Your name. And God, we just ask that You would speak in this place. That You would speak through Scripture. Father, today as we talk about our need for You, as we talk about our, our stance of where we are, and then what, you, what we do, what You do when we become new and who in You. Father, we just pray that You speak in this room. That You, you speak to every heart and every mind. To encourage and to remind some. And for some in this room, Lord, it may be the first time to hear this message clear and, and plain as it's laid out in Ephesians. So Lord, we just ask for You to speak, for You to do a work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's true that at times we really don't like the real us. Stop and think about it for a moment that, that there are times in your life and you're like, yeah, I don't like who I am or who I'm behaving as or what I'm acting like. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute, Brian, I don't know if I agree with that statement. Now, before you attack that statement, listen to some of these statistics from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons from the report of 2016. 17.1 million cosmetic procedures, now some are needed, but many are elective, took place in the year 2016. 17.1 million. 16.4 billion, that's B, billion dollars spent on cosmetic procedures. I would say it's a sign that there's something on the outside that we don't like. Now, of that, 290,468 women had breast augmentations. That's up 37% since the year 2000. Now, guys, if you go, oh, man, come on now. This one was shocking to me. 1,153 men had pectoral implants. They want their pecs to be larger. That's up 25% since 2015. There's not even a stat in 2000 because it wasn't being done back then. Because we want to look buff. 11,299 people had a lower body lift. That's up 34% over 2015. I was like, what is a lower body lift? <laughs> want all up here? I mean, what is that? So I asked someone in a medical procedure. They said, in a medical field here in church, they said that's when they, like, if you have extra skin or weight that's hanging down low, they cut you and they all the way around and they lift it all up. I was like, ow. That sound fun, but I'm sure people have had weight loss or whatever. Sometimes that, that is needed. 17,860 people had an upper arm lift. That's up 5,184% since year 2000 stats. I mean, just let's get my arms taken care of. You start looking at that, that guide or that study, you can research it and pull it up. It's amazing all the different kind of cosmetic surgeries you place it. But it just tells me if we're spending $16.4 billion on cosmetic things, there's something that on the outside that we don't like about ourselves. At times, we just don't like the real us. We buy con contraptions to make curves smaller in some areas and bigger in other areas. We're like, I don't like the way this looks. Let's make it smaller, and I want to make this part look better. better. In 2006, the hair color industry garnered over a billion dollars just to change the color of her hair. People with brown hair want blonde, blonde hair. And people with blonde hair want red hair. And people with gray hair don't really care as long as it's not gray. And then people with straight hair want curly hair. And people with curly hair want straight hair. And people with no hair just say, can I have a little? 
I mean, it's crazy, but when you start looking at the outside and look what's happened, the list goes on and on, proving that there are just things about us that we say, I just don't really like. But today what I want to talk about is not really the issue of what we like or don't like on the outside, but what's happening on the inside. What's happening on the inside? Today I want to look at Scripture and I want to allow the Scripture to penetrate into our hearts, into our minds in depth to say what's going on on the inside. Do we really like the real us? Not what people see that's happening out here day to day and and the outside they see, but do we really like the, the inside? The old wise man once said you can put a tuxedo on a mule, but he's still a mule. We can dress up the outside and we can change the outside all we want. But it doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. What matters is what's going on the inside that really counts. I know there are times when we don't like the real us. We we don't even want to think about the real us because deep down inside, we know that the real us at times is someone that we don't like very well. We take the time and say, look at my character and look at my personality and look at my behavior. This morning, I want to ask you to take the mirror, the Word of God, and allow it to penetrate inside of you and look at who the real you is. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been walking through this great book, a letter that's written to the church in Ephesus, learning what it means to walk and to live a life in Christ. And our text today, the Apostle Paul is doing just this. He takes uh, and writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and it's kind of a challenge to look at who you really are. Paul, in no certain terms, lest the Ephesians know exactly who they are, as they read this letter, follow along, beginning with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature's objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show His incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want us to take a long, hard look this morning at ourselves, this morning and glean some truths from Paul's Word as we see our condition, we see our need that God has provided to meet the need, and then our response, our response to God's actions. Let's consider our condition as Paul lays it out here. Our condition is this, it's pretty simple. Paul says, you're guilty. He says, you and I, we're guilty. Look at the first three verses of our text. Paul's pretty plain about what he wants to convey. And he's conveying and says, we are are sinners. We're guilty of sinning against God. It's not usually words we want to hear. They're not the most encouraging words. They're not the uplifting words. But 
It's the truth of God's Word. He says, you're guilty that we are, we're all sinners. That, that's the real us. The challenge is, do I own it? We, we may say, yeah, that's kind of me. Or we hear it and say, oh, it says it in Scripture. But do we really own our condition, our, 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 our spot before God to say, I am a filthy, dirty, stinking rag, guilty before God. Paul said it this way in Romans. He said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. In other words, all have broken God's heart or God's way. All have ignored God's plan and said, my plan is better, God, than your plan. And so I'm, I'm going to do it my way. Romans 5, Paul said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in, the, and in this way, death came to all men because all have sinned. I guess Paul was really trying to emphasize to those in Rome, we're all messed up. He carries that theme in his letter as he writes in, to the church in Ephesus to say that we are all sinners. Our, our condition, it, it's a grave condition that we're all guilty of being sinners. There are some who say, well, so what? Some in our culture, so what, what's the big deal about sin? Everybody's sinning everywhere. Let's, so why don't you just do what you want to do and I'll do what I want to do. Whatever makes you happy will make you happy. Whatever makes me happy. And so let's just, let's just live in that kind of direction. In fact... In our world today, and even in writings that I read about how to preach, which just make me ill, and they say, don't use the word sin, because it makes people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't, don't preach, don't, don't bring that word up, because it makes people feel guilty. I mean, use words like indiscretions, or mistakes, or shortcomings, because because sin is kind of Old Testament. It's really convicting and people are going to feel bad about it. Yes! We should. We should feel broken. We should have a spirit that, that, that cries. A, a spirit that mourns when we recognize our sin. But in our modern world today, let's not hurt anyone's feelings. I, I mean, Paul would have never been politically correct, would he? There's no way. He just writes this letter and says, here's the deal. You're guilty of sin. And, and here's the truth. Every single one of us are guilty of that. And that's the real love. I believe it's that kind of attitude, though, that has caused decline in our moral world because instead of us calling sin, sin, we say, well, they're just making some bad choices right now. Oh, they'll get back on track later. Oh, it's really not that. It's just a little thing. And so we just continue down that track of sin. Why? Because we want to sweep sin under the rug like it's some kind of dust bunnies and not think about it. Like, I mean, when's the last time you looked underneath your bed and saw all the ugliness and pulled all the stuff out and saw maybe a stack of dust? Now, I know some of you are like, not my bed. <laughs> it's not happening. But for most of us, truth be told, there's a lot of dirt underneath there. When's the last time you pulled the rug up, kind of looked at your life and said, man, what kind of sin am I dealing with? Why? Because most of us don't like the thought of sin because it reminds us that there were sinners and reminds us that we're guilty, so we say, let's not think about it. What does sin do? Sin kills. Sin kills. It destroys I mean, look how Paul described the life of sin. Paul says the life of sin is you are, you're dead. 
You're dead. No breath, no breathing, nothing going on. You were dead in your sins when you lived under what? Under the rule of Satan. Paul says sin kills. Sin is the ultimate killer. Sin can not only destroy you physically, but it can also destroy you spiritually. But may I suggest that sometimes... You may be going through some stress or health challenges because of sin. And if you clean up the sin, sometimes your health will get better. And I say sometimes because it's not always true. Sometimes we walk through stuff that's just it's health challenges that come. See, when we are, as Paul puts it, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following his desires and thoughts, we're ultimately pushing God out of our lives and saying, God, I don't need you. We're saying, God, I've got this under control. God, I can be boss of my own life. God, your way is not good, but my way is good. God, you're not so smart. I'm actually smarter than you. And so, God, I'll live life according to the way I want to. And sin is contagious, and we keep coming back to the well when we allow ourselves to fall victim to temptation after temptation. And Satan then kills, steals, and destroys Dr. Ralph Sockham writes about an experience he had while standing on the edge of the Niagara Falls one clear, cold March day. He said, wrapped in white winter garments, the falls glistened in the bright sun as some birds swooped down to snatch a drink from the clear water. Sockman's companion told how he had seen birds carried over the edge of the precipice. As they dipped down for a drink, tiny droplets of ice would form on their wings. As they returned for additional drinks, more ice would weigh down their bodies until they couldn't rise above the cascading waters. Flapping their wings, the birds would suddenly drop over the falls to their death. That's what happens to us when messing with sin. Ah, that little bit was good. Oh, that little bit more. I want a little bit more, and I want a little bit more. And we keep coming back for more and more. All the while, Satan is throwing ice on our wings of life, so to speak. Because sin kills, steals, destroys. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Our condition is we're guilty. And so our need that Paul points us to is the need of grace. We stand guilty before God in our sin, not able to pay the price for our salvation, but Paul tells us that because of God's great love, we are saved. And how we are saved? We are saved through grace. That's an amazing God who gives us grace. Not a gift, not a gift, not a reward. It's a gift, not a reward. An act of love so amazing that it should actually boggle our human minds. A, a gift that is so amazing that we cannot even possibly totally comprehend it. A gift that because of God's rich mercy allows us to be elevated to heavenly realms and seated with Christ and the sins are washed away that they no longer exist. I mean, do you think that the creator of the universe looked down on me, guilty of sinning against Him so many times, and He loved me anyway. That's what He does for you and me. Love me enough to extend His grace to me and allow me to be called a child of God. That's what He's done. He's looked down and said, yes, you've dabbled, and yes, you've gone back to, but I look down and because of what my son Jesus has done, you are one of my children. And so Paul writes this letter to remind us what an awesome God we have. When Billy Graham was driving through a small southern town in Iowa, 
He was stopped by a policeman and charged for speeding. Graham admitted his guilt, but was told by the officer that he still had to appear in court. The judge asked Billy Graham, guilty or not guilty? When Graham pleaded guilty, the judge replied, that'll be $10. That must have been some years ago. A dollar for every mile you went over the limit. Suddenly the judge recognized a famous minister. He said, you violated the law, Mr. Graham? He said, the fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. And so the judge reached down in his pocket, pulled out $10 and paid the bill, and he attached it to the ticket and gave it to him. And then that night, he took Billy Graham out for a steak dinner. Billy Graham said, that's grace. That's how God treats us. Not only does he pay our penalty, then he gives us things that are way better than we possibly even deserve. We're guilty, but the fine must be paid. It's been has been, and it's a gift of grace that's been extended to all who will accept it. And Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, reminding them, saying, remember who you really are. You are a sinner. But also don't forget about what God has done by extending His grace. See, when a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's called a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's called a, a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for their long service or high achievements, that's called an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that is a good picture of God's unmerited favor. That's grace. That's when we talk about the grace of God is it's totally free. And God says, I've seen your condition. I want to give you my son to pay the price. God, not give, God did not give us what we deserve. He gave us what we needed. Is that not an awesome truth today? He didn't give us what we deserve. He gave us what we needed. Our greatest need is grace. What does grace do for us? Paul says, that makes you alive. Come alive in the river. Receiving the grace of God as you accept that in baptism. We, we, need, we are dead in our sin, but we're alive in grace. Saved by the blood of Jesus, we are now alive to do God's will. And Paul's letter to the Romans says it so perfectly in chapter 5 when he says, but the gift that God was kind enough to give was very different from Adam's sin. That one sin brought death to many others, yet in, in an even greater way, Jesus Christ alone brought God's gift of grace to many people. There's a lot of difference between Adam's sin and God's gift. That one sin led to punishment, but God's gift made it possible for us to be acceptable to Him, even though we have sinned many times. Death ruled like a king because Adam had sinned. But that cannot compare with what Jesus Christ has done. God has been so kind to us, and He's accepted us because of Jesus, and so we will live and rule like kings. I mean, because of our need, God grants us grace. I think it's very important to stress today that God does this without your input or my input or your help or my help. That's what God did. And Paul points out clearly that it is by grace and not by anything that we have done that saves us. Not by our works, not by our kindness, not by our needs, not by our money, not by our church attendance, not by memorizing Scripture, not by having quiet time every single day and never missing, not by going to the greatest conference, not by, by anything other than 
a gift that he gave us his son. Paul says that's how we're saved, because of the grace of God. And what should be our response to this wonderful gift? Paul lays it out as gratitude. How many of you ever received a gift that you really weren't excited about? You've been that? Someone, someone hands you a gift? We've probably all been through that experience. Someone hands you a gift and you open it up and you're like, okay, I better be real nice here as I open up the box and go, hey, thank you for the socks. And inside you're going, why'd you get me socks? Thanks for the underwear, Mom. Oh, thank you for the shirt. And the shirt's three sizes too small. We've all been through that. We've been through that where we kind of play the game like, oh, okay, i got to put a smile on. i got to be thankful. And then you're like, what am I going to do with this gift they gave me? We've also probably been through that experience where someone gives you a gift and you are so excited. You're wanting to do flips and high fives and you're shouting and you're screaming, I love it, hugs and kisses. And I can't believe you got me this. I believe we've been given one of the greatest gifts possible in Jesus Christ. The gift of God's grace. How do we respond many times though? Oh, grace. Oh yeah, I got God's grace. Yeah. Oh. Or we receive it with joy and then we forget about the joy. Or we sing like grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, and God's grace. I want to go home and get my lunch today. I mean, we just kind of second-handedly think about it and not really understand this free gift that God has given us. Paul says that we should have an attitude of gratitude, and the way our gratitude comes true is that we live for Him in good works. Look at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. He goes back to that. Here's how you've been saved. Through faith. So you put your faith in Jesus. Grace saves you. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. Not by works. So you can't earn it. You can't do anything because you can't boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we do works because we're so excited about the gift of grace. Not working to earn our salvation. That, that is a gift, but works to share this good news with others. Works to ensure that, that this congregation and this ministry remains a light in our community. Works that shows others that we're grateful for what God has done. Works that God has already prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says it's time for us to realize that Christianity is so much more than showing up on Sunday and some few, hearing a few songs or singing a few songs and hearing a sermon and going home. Paul says, God has prepared you to do great works and just playing in church won't cut it. You can do something for His church. God has given you the ability and the talent to work for Him and God has prepared you in advance. How do you show gratitude for this great gift of grace? You prove that you are God's workmanship. You get involved in ministry. And I would say get involved in ministry in your local congregation right here at Centerpoint so that others can be reached for Christ. There are a lot of great things happening here at Centerpoint. We're growing. We're in the middle of the neighborhoods that are being surrounded. You know there's 400 homes being built across the street. Apartments. This land over here has been sold for homes. Homes on the other side. 
There's a lot of work to be done. It takes a lot of people who says, hey, I'm willing to serve. Where can I serve at? What can I get involved in so that we can minister to our neighborhoods? To whom much is given, much is expected. I challenge you today, if you are in the grace of God and you have given your life to Jesus, to stop and ask yourself right now, today as you sit here, how are you using God's gifts for His kingdom that He's put inside of you? Where are you working in God's kingdom? And if something doesn't come to your mind, then start having some serious talks with God to say, God, where do you want me? Because there should be something that comes to your mind and say, God, I'm working, I'm helping at a nursery. God, I'm serving at preschool. God, I'm working with those teenagers. God, I'm hosting a Bible study. God, my home is open to small groups. God, I'm helping as we, as we go into different um, downtown areas. God, I'm, I'm serving with the Habitat for Humanity. I'm signing up for that. God, I'm plugged into this. God, I helped at kids camp. God, I'm trying my best to serve where I can. But if nothing comes to mind, you're like, well, yeah, I show up to church on Sundays. You're missing out. You're missing out on what God's call is. I want to ask you on your bulletin right now to take out that connection card. Take out that connection card. I want to ask you, as you sit and evaluate right now between you and God, God, I, I see my plight of life is that I'm a, I'm a sinner. I see that you have provided the way in the grace of Jesus Christ. I see that my response should be a, a response of service, a response of work. I want to ask you right now, if that answer in your head is, I'm not sure where that's at, but you're like, I want to. I I want to be obedient to God's Word. I want to ask you to print on that card, to print your name, and please print clearly. i got to tell you, some of you all write with chicken scratch. We get those prayer cards. uh, Pray for my, what? Does that say pray for my dog who's wearing a pair of underwear? I mean, it's just weird. You You just can't read the handwriting. Print clearly your name and your phone and your cell number. And then right on the back, I want to serve. And we'll follow up with you. Usually during the month of August, there's a lot of recruitment and trying to get you involved as we head towards the fall. And so during the month of August, you will hear from us. And we'll say, okay, you put that, I want to serve. And we will sit down and have a conversation and help you find a place to, to serve in God's kingdom. Whether that be here locally at the body of Centerpoint, or whether you say, I want to find something in the city to do where I can still be the hands and feet of Jesus. We'll help you find a place. How can we say thanks for the things God has done? Things so undeserved, yet He gave to prove His love for us. The voices of a million angels could not express our gratitude. All that we are, or all we ever hope to be, or all that we owe to God. Live your life as grateful for His love, His grace, His mercy. How? By a life of service. You ever been to the circus and sit back and watch a trapeze artist? It amazes me to see the high wire acts and the things they do off the wires. One of the best acts. I mean, you sit there and your mouth is in awe, open, like, oh, don't fall. Don't fall. Oh, they got the wire. But if you ever notice, every now and then, someone misses. They go falling. What do they do? There's a net down below. They hit the net and typically they go flying back up and land back on the wire. It's amazing how they do that. They may make that mistake. We gasp at those near misses. And in most cases, 
That net's always there, ready to catch them when they fall. I think of the Christians sometimes in the same fashion as the trapeze artist. In Christ, we're kind of on that trapeze, and the world should look at us and go, man, look how amazing that is. Look at their kindness. Look at their joy. Look at their marriage. Look how he treats his wife. Look how she treats her husband. But every now and then, we're going to mess up. Boom, we hit the net, we bounce. But the net of what? The net of God's grace, we bounce right back up and land on our feet, and we continue on as the world looks and says, why are they different? Why do they look so different? It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He provided forgiveness for all of our trespasses, all of our sins, both the net and the ability to stay on the trapeze are God's work of grace. Are you living in His grace today? See, we're sinners in need of grace, and thanks be to God, He supplied our need for us. The real us is that I'm a sinner. The real us is that you're a sinner. But thanks be to God for His indescribable gift, the gift of grace. And we offer that gift each and every week to you. We offer it today. The gift of grace, the gift of salvation, it comes through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And as we celebrate in communion and just here in just a moment, we're remembering that great gift. But I must ask, have you accepted that great gift? God's Word's pretty clear. You confess Jesus as your Savior, repent of your sin, and you're baptized. That's why we practice water by bapt- or baptism by water. And so we'd love to help you on that journey. Maybe today's your day. And so here I'm going to pray. And I want to invite you, as we move into communion, to partake. You believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. As you partake, you're saying, I believe in the grace of God. If you haven't accepted Jesus as Savior, as we continue in worship, at any time, you can get up and just walk to the back of the room. I'll be back there. A few other leaders are back there. Just walk back and say, I need to have a conversation about where I'm at in Jesus. Or walk back there and say, today's my day. I need to accept Jesus. I need to accept that grace. We're prepared and help, ready to help you. Or we're prepared to start a conversation today. We are all sinners, saved by grace. And our response should be to serve the greatest Savior of all.